Well, hello and welcome back to Elevate Ordinary. I'm your host, John Mark Grodi. And I'm Teresa Grodi. And we're back with another extraordinary conversation about the ordinary pursuit of truth, goodness, and beauty in all those ordinary parts of life, marriage and family and work and, and all that stuff on the playground, you know, everywhere else, yes. Our, our producer just played a, um, like a Pam Beasley on yes. us, uh-huh. where Teresa started out the intro to this episode last time crazy <laughs> it didn't work well and um an accident happened and he's like can you do that intro again and then we did the intro again and i was calm and i said my name correctly and i did everything right just like pam beasley would do to michael scott she's doing practice great? run it's not great and here i i messed it up again we're gonna have to do it again i i don't know should okay no. one more time no, <laughs> <laughs> no today we're talking about courtesy <laughs> Yeah, we're going to talk, yeah, courtesy, manners, that kind of stuff. Um, pretty ordinary, pretty, ex- actually extremely, extraordinarily ordinary. Uh, we, there tend to be things that we, especially as a modern society, uh, we just don't think matter. In fact, you know, it's one of those things, it's kind of like um, any sort of ritual or tradition these days. When we see somebody taking it seriously, our, our instant thought sometimes is, uh, are they just trying to draw attention to themselves, mm-hmm. trying to make themselves look superior? Um, or if we imagine ourselves, you know, paying attention to, you know, traditional manners and acts of courtesy that I, I could only imagine myself doing that if I was trying to draw attention to myself or look, look cool or whatever. There's a movie blast from the yeah. past that mm-hmm. I really like. Um, and at one point a character says, um, I used to think manners were like a way of feeling all superior to people or showing other people that you're superior to them. But then Adam, the main character yeah. who's from the sixties, it's a long story good movie not for kids um he says that but that adam told him that manners were a way of showing the people around them that you have respect for them yeah so that's my catechism love it uh blast from the past catechism definition of manners yeah (laughs) (laughs) and that that you know i will break that open a little bit as we talk but what particularly what i wanted to think about today of courtesy and manners as the ways that we practice the presence of other people and then I want to connect that to our practicing of the presence of God in prayer. And I think we'll, what we'll see is that there's a lot of connections there. And if we're struggling with with one, uh, it may be that we're not doing the other. And particularly, I think, with from the direction of, of human to prayer, or our relationship with humans and our relation to God in prayer, in that we often maybe struggle to sit still in prayer, to be in the presence of God. Um, but then what we maybe recognize, if we turn around and ask the question, do I really practice the presence of other people? And so I was thinking about this a couple months ago, I think, when I wrote down some notes for it. Um, I was thinking in our family life. You know, family life is messy. We talk about that all the time. So messy, so loud, so noisy. Mm-hmm. You know, we're we're always trying to practice patience, get better at reacting or not reacting, you know, all that kind of stuff. But one thing I I noticed one day was that as I was trying to wrestle and manage my emotions and the kids and all that kind of stuff, whatever, I was recognizing for whatever reason, that I hadn't been practicing basic courtesy. So like mm-hmm. kids come into the room, I'm busy with my thoughts. I don't say hello. I don't look them in the eye. I don't acknowledge them. Uh, um, I don't, I might tell my kids to say please and thank you and all this kind of stuff, mm-hmm. gruffly. But how often am I omitting saying please and thank you and excuse me? If I'm, if I'm moving past them in the kitchen, am I saying excuse me? little acts of courtesy and I was recognizing how 
ideally I'd want to be a person who does that. Mm -hmm. Ideally I'd tell my kids and teach them to be the kind of people who did that out there in scenarios perhaps where they're a reflection of me and my parenting. <laughs> but how often I fail to do those things uh, in our home, in the messiness of family life. And I was thinking then further, reflecting on that, how when we when we do those things, part of what we're practicing is um, the presence of these other people and our recognition of their personhood, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, um, actually, I was thinking of this more in relation to the last couple of years with COVID and masks and all this kind of stuff and how it's only exacerbated how easy it is for me as a slightly introverted person at times to go into a store and to take my items and put them in the conveyor belt and only give the most bare basic recognition of the other person with a couple grunts and pay for my <laughs> stuff and leave. And they're usually pretty satisfied with that too. I mean, a lot of the times, but, um, but how easy it is for me to just treat people as simply objects in the scenery. Mm -hmm. Like they're, I'll acknowledge them if they're, maybe if they're smiling at me or they're cheerful or I feel like it or it's mm -hmm. useful to me. But if I don't feel like it or neither of us feel like it, I'll just kind of not even think about the fact that this is another real person. Mm -hmm. And how often we people pass people in the street, we pass people in the store, we interact with people as, as if they're just um, other objects in the scenery and not something very unique, something very distinct from the rest of the scene. And then uh, obviously how, to my chagrin, how easy that is even in family life to begin to only uh, transactionally and conditionally show courtesy when I feel like it, when it's useful, um, but not as a as a intentional proactive practice of seeing and acknowledging this person's personhood and their dignity. Thoughts so far? I have too many. One of them. <laughs> For example. Well, no, I don't think that they make any sense okay. to our podcast. I'm I'm trying to envision being an introvert and I'm like failing. <laughs> that's where that's what you were thinking of. <laughs> I'm just trying to like fit this into my daily life. Cause so so I do ignore. I've noticed I ignore our kids. Hmm. I ignore them. Like let's just be honest about that. Um and part of it I think is sorry, there was something in my face. <laughs> swatted it away part of it is obviously because i have some level of adhd where i'm always getting distracted into other things but another part is is that sometimes it's easier for me as an extrovert to not get drawn into other people because i will like we were joking about this the other day how you were saying like you could ignore someone if they came in the room or like like I have to actually give myself the presence of being, you know, like give that person my attention mm -hmm. where it's like, it feels really different as an extrovert. Cause you like, you almost notice every single person that enters the room and it's like mm -hmm. a big balloon of your excitement. Yeah. Um, and it, it becomes hard to pay attention to the person who you were paying attention to. Mm -hmm. And I think like phones and computers really exacerbate that. Like I'm somebody who I have high levels of stress when I even look at my computer screen to turn on our colored lights in the evening or mm -hmm. um, red light in the evening so that it's not messing with our circadian rhythms and like to even look at my screen mm -hmm. when anything else is around stresses me out mm -hmm. um, and so I'm trying to like fit this into for for extroverts mm -hmm. but but it, it becomes difficult for me to pay attention to the children when I'm doing almost anything else mm -hmm. because I get too drawn into them and I like burn the stuff on the stove mm. or I'm trying not to burn the stuff on the stove. And I know if I turn my attention to them, I'll forget that anything even exists. Right. We have this problem with school in our house 
where if the kids aren't 100% honest with me with what they're supposed to be doing in the morning, whether it be chores or school, like I'll forget about it completely because <laughs> a baby ran outside naked and I chase him <laughs> down or something. Um, so, so help me with this. Hmm. Okay. How do I practice, practice the presence of God when I'm continuously drawn other places? Right. Cause, so it's not for me an issue of coming out of myself. It's an issue of like honing in, practicing, being present to other people and to God, mm -hmm. you know, cause now, well, I'll let you say what you're going to say first, because, but I want to talk a little bit about my sure. struggles as a mom. Well, let me, can I, to, to the practice of God, cause I think, yeah, on the other end of that, I think we'll have maybe some more insights to, to, to use in this, in our analysis here. Mm -hmm. um, uh, as you said, I, I do want to connect part of what I was thinking about with all this is uh, the connection occurred in my mind uh, of our practicing of the presence of other people through basic courtesy. In other words, whether or not we feel like it, the ways that we show, um, acknowledge the dignity of another person, that they're a person amongst objects. They're not just an object in the scenery. They're a person. Um, and the ways that we show them respect. There's a connection between our practice of doing that, I think, and our ability in prayer to practice the presence of God. So there's a, this bit in the catechism in the section on Christian prayer. This is paragraph uh, 2,565. I won't read the whole paragraph here, but it says about halfway through that paragraph, thus the life of prayer is the habit of being in the presence of the thrice holy God and in communion with him. And... Um, there's a lot going on there before it, the context, but I was, I've, a couple times I've read this, I've been drawn to this phrase of the practicing of the habit. Uh, yeah, prayer is the habit of being in the presence of the thrice holy God. It's interesting phraseology there, right? Because it's not just that I go into the presence of God, I just start praying. It's that that's a habit that has to be formed, right? It's, it's being in someone else's presence takes work. Uh, and it might be from different reasons. I mean, you started to bring this up, I think, with the thinking about the, maybe the different struggles that introverts and extroverts have or different types of personalities. You know, for an introvert, more you know, a more introverted person, it might be more the, you know, that you just would rather not have to turn out and focus on other people because it's intense, because it takes your energy. Whereas for the extrovert, maybe it's more that, you know, doing focusing on one person at a time might be the difficulty because <laughs> you just want to, you know, be into all kinds of things. And we'll talk more about those. But the, but the point is here is that every person has to practice the habit of being in someone else's presence. And there's again, there's lots of context. We, we had a conversation early on in this show, this podcast, about conversation, conversation about conversation, mm -hmm. right? And I remember us talking about, you know, uh, when you're having a real conversation with somebody else, are you listening just thinking about your next point? Or are you really listening to them um, expecting to learn something, wanting to learn something. And there's, there's a lot of different ways you can be in conversation with another person, rightly or wrongly. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, are you, when you're in conversation with them, it takes practice to be the, a person who really is open to them, who really actually listens, who really allows their mind to be changed by new information. Um, in other words, to practice the reality of that person. They're not just a talking box. They're not just a, a, my interlocutor that I'm going to get my next point to. They're not just someone to listen to me. They are a real person. And I, am I listening in such a way? Am I, have I practiced listening in such a way that I'm acknowledging their personhood? 
Um, and so this, this notion of the habit of being in the presence of God or of another person is just something I was thinking about uh, in, in connection to, again, my, and my reason for connecting to courtesy is that sometimes we are relating to another person in terms of like a deep conversation, mm-hmm. but most of the time we're not. Most of the time, you know, 98% of our daily interactions with people are not, you know, deep quality time, as we might say. Mm-hmm. It's quantity time. It's just all the normal day-to-day, the ordinary interactions. Mm-hmm. And courtesy and manners are this way that humans have established um, pr- the practice of pr- the practice of of being in the presence of other human beings, so that we're not becoming jaded to them, mm-hmm. we're not becoming numb to the reality of their personhood. We're actually intentionally practicing it. We're constantly reminding ourselves that, well, no, when a when a lady walks in the room, or really anyone, I should attention to them, stand up, greet them, acknowledge them, or whatever it is, you know, there's different scenarios, different situations. But the point is, am I practicing the presence of another person, the reality of their dignity, the reality of their personhood? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, when I used to clean the church. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Which was like super awkward because you would be, you know, Jesus is there in the tabernacle, you know. Um and in, in a way, like it's it's nice to be there by yourself and like vacuuming and sweeping and scrubbing and cleaning and serving in that kind of way. Mm-hmm. But in another way, when you're vacuuming the center aisle and you're continuously crossing in front of the tabernacle, right. you have this feeling of like, well, Jesus understands. I genuflected once. It's fine. Right. But then another part of you is like, like it's yes, it's scrupulous to be like every time I cross, every time I pull the vacuum back this way, Jenny Fleck, pull the vacuum back this way. <laughs> you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> so I began to to have this because I didn't want to not acknowledge him there. You know, I wanted him to be like another worker in my space, like another yeah. human being in my space, because he is. <laughs> um, but then to, I started this. Um, like I didn't want to genuflect every time because it took a lot of time, okay? Um, And it was a little scrupulous. So instead, what I would do is that when I would cross that center aisle, because that was the courtesy, that was the norm Mm -hmm. of how in our church we express um, the the presence, the personhood of Jesus there in the tabernacle, I would bow from my heart first. Mm -hmm. So it was like, like my, Jesus knows my heart and he like, yeah. You know, like I didn't have to bow, mm-hmm. but my heart was bowing. My, ha- my heart was acknowledging him. Yeah. Um, and I, I found that that is very helpful in the actual practice of being in church. Yeah. Anyway, like when you go to genuflect, you know, we, you see kids when they're learning to genuflect, it's like this quick, <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> you know, they're kind of like, kind of sort of, I did the thing, yeah. Yeah. you know, but it like when I go and genuflect now, even if I'm pregnant and I can't actually get my knee to the ground or I'm mm-hmm. carrying a couple children and I can't do anything yeah. like bow my head, the the practice, the habit of recognizing Jesus with my heart and like yes. almost feeling my heart bow yeah. is what it is. And, pe- and you know what? God bless the people who judge me for not getting down to my knee, but that's an extra grace <laughs> yeah. for me. <laughs> yeah, that's that's so perfect. Right? <laughs> yeah, no, that, that's so perfect for this topic. Because again, yeah, there's so there I think there are people who fall into two erring extremes there. There are people who, you know, you express this, you know, that, oh, well, it, you know, that's it's not that big of a deal. I'm not, obviously I'm not gonna like the whole time, whatever. Um so de-emphasizing 
the acts of courtesy. In this case, we might call them piety. It's courtesy to other people. It's mm-hmm. piety to God. We make that distinction. Um, but the other extreme is is sort of a, a scrupulosity. In other words, like worrying, thinking of these things as as mere uh, kind of cold duties. And if I do it wrong, God's going to be angry or like I have to do the right formula. And that's not right either. Mm-hmm. Again, I think that I think the the key is thinking of God as a person. You know, even that even that exercise of thinking yourself. You know, if if you're walking around a room, and we're not thinking of God, if we're thinking of, about a person sitting there. Mm-hmm. Well, again, hopefully we would, if we're walking around a room, vacuuming or whatever, and there's another person in the room, we would have acknowledged them when, when they came in, and even though we don't keep acknowledging them over and over necessarily we stay aware of the fact that there's another person that the person doesn't stop being a person just because i've done my duty i already i waved at them they're done they're not a person anymore they're just an object of the scenery so that that internal awareness again of there's another person here Mm -hmm. and i remain attentive to them if they're another human being i I remain attentive to their needs Mm -hmm. i'm ready to to notice if something changes if they need something Mm -hmm. because that's that's a person they're not just a chair or an object or a table that's a person and so with god it's not just another human person but a divine person the king is there Mm -hmm. and so again i might genuflect on my way in and even if again it's not practical or necessary to genuflect over and over and over again every time i cross the center line of the church Mm -hmm. the point is is i remain attentive to the reality of that person and who they are and who i am in relation to to them so what's coming to my mind right now and i hope that i'm able to express the like paint this picture very Mm -hmm. well but I'm thinking of the variety of priests mm-hmm. that we've worked with yeah. or been in like, like closer, been closer to. Mm-hmm. Okay. I, and what I mean by that is like, you would have a, a, some occasions of being within a small group in a church with a particular priest. Okay. Yeah. We've been with that. <sighs> Teresa, stop. Okay. So um, seeing the priest have to leave and do some business real quick, mm. turn to the tabernacle look at Jesus in the tabernacle and no matter how rushed he is getting out, Mm -hmm. he is turning his attention, bending that knee and looking at him as opposed to, you know, maybe just like being in church and kind of people watching, which I'm not suggesting that you do. (laughs) That's a near occasion of sin, you know, but like, you know, just kind of genuflecting with your eyes kind of going all different directions, which I do all the time because I'm always watching kids. Yeah. Um, or a, like hyper aware of where all the kids are um, and what all the potentials for danger for other people mm-hmm. are at the hands of my children. Um, you know, where I'm, I'm distracted. I know Jesus is there, but I'm distracted when I'm genuflecting. It really is just like emotion. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, whereas like I'm, I'm imagining these priests matter how frustrated they are to like leave the church you're like ah, i got it oh crud i gotta do this you know like uh mm-hmm. we forgot this thing i need to bring it back like turning the body towards our lord mm-hmm. in the same way you kind of would to your spouse you know yeah. um you can be frustrated and angry in front of your spouse right and not be frustrated and angry at them you, you know what i mean mm-hmm. uh, like it's well it's or hard to death. you wouldn't just turn to leave without acknowledging them like, yeah i would just cause, yeah. You know, you, you just wouldn't do that unless, I mean, things are really bad. And then, you, and then you'd walk, and then you'd get out of the house and be like, I just did a bad thing. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, that, that's, so I, I was thinking about this in a number of different ways. You know, one, I was thinking of it again personally and how, okay, my practice or failure to practice of, of courtesy and manners, my acknowledgement, my practice of another person's presence, every person I come in contact with, that's connected to my ability to, to be, in presence of God in prayer and to acknowledge him. And if I'm struggling with that, um, maybe it's because I'm not practicing it here. 
you know, maybe that's because that's, I might, I can only maybe commit so much time to prayer each day, but I'm mm -hmm. constantly in, in yeah. walking near people. And so if, again, if the sum total of my life is 98% of the time, I practice not paying attention to people, mm -hmm. just treating them like the scenery. And then I expect to be able to sit down and give God attention for more than a few microseconds before I'm distracted. There's a connection there. There's also a connection though, we think of as parents is like, I want my kids to come to know God. And when I'm in church, I do believe that it's important for us as parents and for other parents, for us adults to 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 carry out the pieties that our children see so they, they see it. But what if we emphasize to our children, you know, to fold your hands and to genuflect and acknowledge God and pay attention to him. But then what they're not getting is a healthy dose of our practicing of their presence. In other words, is there a conflict between yeah. our examples? Um, well, do they do they know how to pay attention? Right. Because we've never shown them right. how Are, to pay attention. Yeah. To or, or do we not do we not do it enough with them? We <clears throat> we want them to pay attention, but again, the most common way that we practice showing attention and showing respect is through courtesy, but we often just kind of shuffle that off or dismiss it because it's not important. But again, I guess part of what I, the case I'm making here is that I think it's another reason why humans in history have developed these little practices, these little ways of showing presence and respect. Mm -hmm. It's a way of constantly practicing the most important reality, which is that I'm a person, you're a person and we, and we're in relationship, some relationship. Yeah. yeah. And it's, it's impossible when you, it's impossible unless you're very bad, you're doing a very bad action to turn your attention to another person and really be in their presence mm -hmm. and either to not love or pity them. Yeah. Okay. So uh, it's, it's easy to imagine yourself turning your presence to a child you're angry at and really mm -hmm. being present to them and just being like, oh, I'm sorry. You know, you're right. You're just a kid, yeah. <laughs> you know, or to turn your attention while you're freaking out back to your spouse and just being like, yeah, everything will be okay. But then like somebody who's done something really bad to you, mm -hmm. you know, or, or snubbed you or mm -hmm. cut you off or said something mean to you when you're walking by. Like if you're able to turn your attention to that person, mm -hmm. it's, it's really possible to pity them, Yeah, you know, and um, rather than see them as a them that nah, mm -hmm. the, those jerky XYZ persons who I hate. There's just another example of those jerky XYZ persons yeah. <laughs> that I hate, you know? Um, but when you really turn your attention to that person, yeah. you know, like they were a kid once. Right. They were a baby once and I've got a baby at home. And I, This is a really, really good point. Um, this is actually where I wanted to go next with this is thinking about the, all the little ways that we slip from, we'll call it personification, maybe, you know, acknowledging the personhood of somebody to objectification. Now we often we've we've often heard that in our Catholic you know spiritual you know circles theological circles in terms of often in terms of um, you know virtues and vices connected to sexual stuff like chastity and purity you know we think of objectification we're thinking of you know the way that society uses women and their bodies you know the objectification but I think there's a, a much wider application that includes that but this is, again, all the little ways that we treat people, again, as just objects in the scenery. And you were giving some examples there, all of the ways that we um, we turn from the, or we get distracted from the personhood of the person to what they did or what they're doing or how they're making us feel or what we're going to do next. 
there are all kinds of things around us, you know, mentally, you know, theoretically that we end up focusing on, but being distracted from the one thing needful, the one thing most important, which is the personhood of the person. Mm -hmm. they, they are a person, you're a person. And that happens in all kinds of circumstances. I mean, again, lust is a great example of that, right? When we, when we lust, when somebody looks at a, a bit of pornography, they are, I, I don't know if it was Christopher West who originated this, this phrase, but you know, pornography doesn't show more, it shows less. It actually, it doesn't reveal more, it actually conceals. Mm -hmm. Pornography conceals the personhood of the woman or the man in the mm -hmm. pornography. It conceals their personhood and only shows oh, the body part mm -hmm. or the action or whatever. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's, this is a, so this is a, a much broader issue as humans that we tend, we're always having to fight this, this movement to objectify people, to only see them as a, as a body part or as a function or what they can do for me or how they're affecting me or how they're making me feel. Mm -hmm. All these other things other than, no, that is a person. That is a child of God, a son of God, a daughter of God. And that's the most important reality. Everything else is peripheral to that reality that that, that person is a, a child of God, precious, cherished, and chosen. Yeah, it also helps you practice the present moment mm -hmm. um, because there's just something about <laughs> like looking into another person's face and being there and being vulnerable. Mm -hmm. Like even just, just for an instant. I mean, you don't have to be doing anything else, but just like <laughs> it kind of takes the wind out of all your sails. Yeah. And it's just kind of like... <sighs> And, and you feel like, I almost feel like when I, I do turn my attention to another person, when I'm in kind of like a crazy scenario where I'm like worried about a lot of things or um, I'm able to almost like take a deep breath and then creativity comes back mm. and I'm able to like make the right decision yeah. or do the right thing. I think it's a Martha Mary thing, but go, go ahead. And keep well, there was, there was a movie that I don't recommend unless you're using VidAngel. <laughs> that we watched recently uh -huh. um, called Everything Everywhere All at Once. Oh yeah, it's a um, crazy movie. It was a crazy movie, but, and I, and I wasn't quite sure where it was going, but the, the end was. Interesting. The <laughs> end, least. well, the end was like, it gave me a lot to reflect on because it's, it's everything everywhere all at once is a commentary on the nature of women hmm. and what we're always thinking about all the time. You heard it here, folks, and I didn't say it. What? Yeah, sorry, just, just oh, I <laughs> everything everywhere all the time is a <laughs> yeah. Well, but the you know the the end is that recognizing this other woman as a person, yeah, yeah. Um, and resting, mm -hmm. resting. That's what it brings. It brings rest mm -hmm. when you recognize the that that the other person is present. It almost takes all of the pressure off of you. Right. You're present and you're at rest. Yeah, and it allows you to be you to be creative but uh, now that i'm thinking about um being in the presence of jesus mm. you know the more time you spend in front of the tabernacle i found this out in college i believed that jesus was present in the eucharist at the point that i started frequenting the blessed sacrament chapel i believed it intellectually um i had had my conversion but the more that i sat yeah the more that the person sitting there I don't want to say manifested because that's got a bunch of baggage, but like he was really there. Mm. It was another person like staring at me mm. and just being. Yeah. I mean, obviously no real spoken words exchanged. Um, lots of internal words on my end, but also on his, mm. you know. Um, 
And then when we got married and had kids, things became became jarring again, mm-hmm. right? Like in church, you're just like, my baby made a peep. Oh no, like I'm disrupting the liturgy. <laughs> and now like if my baby made a peep, that's excellent because I've got kids like spitting and kicking and asking when is it going to be over? And this person looks like this. Mommy, why do they look like that? <laughs> you know, like there's a million other things I could have been embarrassed about, but I started to get distracted and afraid. And I notice now that like when I go to the Blessed Sacrament Chapel, mm-hmm. I have to sit for a good long time mm-hmm. fighting off continuous distractions because I'm not in the habit anymore mm-hmm. of being a in the presence of the Blessed Sacrament, but having little, little children, mm-hmm. you're like, it's like rapid fire emergencies all the time. Yeah. And it's hard to be present to yeah. rapid fire emergencies all the time. So I want to go back, and I think this connects to that. I want to go back to you were talking about looking at people in the eye. And I think there's a, there are lots of reasons here why we often avoid that, right? Like I'm walking through the store and I'm trying not to see people's eyes. Now, sometimes on the surface level, we just don't want to be awkward. But but I think on a deeper level, in, in even more common situations, like to look someone in the eye it's, it's, again, I connected it. I was thinking in my mind to the Martha Mary thing. Mm-hmm. We know that if we actually take a moment and look in another person's eye, part of what we're confronted with is the reality that, um, that, that other people are more important than things or my other concerns or the stuff or what or I want to do. Out about at the moment. God's action and his reality is more important than me contr- being in control of the situation. Mm-hmm. So we think about Martha and Mary. I mean, Mary's sitting at the feet of Jesus. She's recognizing that there's nothing more important than being in the presence of God and being open to him and letting him act. It's even more important than um, what I want to do, which is to go manage the situation and control things and c- control reality. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's often the struggle that we have. Even so, in prayer, when we want to sit down, part of the internal conversion that has to happen is I, I have to uh, be convinced that it really is that 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 Christ was right when he said that that Mary was doing the one thing needful. That I really can let go for a moment of control of events and scenarios and all the things I'm worrying about. I can I can really let go and submit to God and be open to God and just listen to him because it really will be okay. Mm-hmm. And this really is more important than that. We're always wrestling with that in prayer. Like we see that dynamic all the time, but it's, I think we have the same thing with other people where I, there's a part of me that feels like I should pay attention to this person, but I want to keep hold of all these thoughts and all these concerns mm-hmm. and all these other things, whatever. And to actually look in this person's eyes confronts me with the reality that None of that is as important as this other person. Mm-hmm. Sorry, you talk for a moment. I'm going to recover my uh, composure here, <laughs> Te- making myself tear up over here. Go ahead. What do you want me to talk? <laughs> I was. I guess. I, was you, I guess you can just stare in my eyes. For I a was <laughs> practicing the presence of another person. Doing such a good job. <laughs> and I wasn't allowing the thoughts to continue. Well, here I'll, I'll help us both con- regain composure by reading a C.S. Lewis quote. That always helps. There you go. Um, a great quote from C.S. Lewis's sermon called "The Weight of Glory." He gave that that sermon at one point, at some place. At some mm-hmm. church, I don't, I don't know the backstory. I just know it was a sermon. Um, I just know it's an Al- the weight Alana of glory, uh, and he says it may be possible for each to think too much of his own potential glory hereafter. It is hardly possible for him to think too often or too deeply about that of his neighbor. The load or weight or burden of my neighbor's glory 
should be laid daily on my back, a load so heavy that only humility can carry it, and the backs of the proud will be broken. It is in light of these overwhelming possibilities, it is with the awe and the circumspection proper to them, that we should conduct all our dealings with one another, all friendships, all loves, all play, all politics. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are all mortal, and their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Next to the blessed sacrament itself, your neighbor is the holiest object presented to your senses. <sighs> the weight of glory. The weight of your neighbor's glory. Uh, I read the full long quote because it's just so utterly, devastatingly good. Um, but again, to connect it back to the topic of this episode, um, courtesy and manners, all these little things, these seemingly ordinary things are how we practice trying to get back to a recognition of the reality of the weight, the immense weight of our neighbor's glory, potential glory. Uh, dang, man. Sorry, I got to process over here for a moment. <laughs> <laughs> um, and again, I think um, other human beings like the saints, one of the ways that they function in our spiritual life is through other people, through um, coming to recognize and appreciate and practice uh, by the practice of their glory, seeing them as children of God, seeing God working in them, seeing their beauty, seeing, you're just really seeing them, <laughs> really seeing them. Um, that helps to elevate our appreciation of God's glory. When you, when you get to know a saint, mm -hmm. You know, you get to know them and you you uh, learn their life and you meditate on them and you see their goodness and their truth and your beauty and you see that that all comes from God mm -hmm. and that everything that they have is a pale, pale, um, you know, image of God's glory. Well, then your image of God gets mm -hmm. elevated so much further, right? Yeah. It really helps you to be able to, to trust and let go. Yeah. You know, like. Yeah. yeah. I want to keep talking about this. <laughs> this is so good, but we probably should should wrap it up here. Uh, in summary, right? I think uh, a preeminently ordinary aspect of life is you know manners and courtesy, courtesy, you know, please and thank you, and looking another person in the eye and giving them a firm handshake, as I we're trying to teach our kids to do. You know, uh, acknowledging someone when they come into the room, standing up. Uh, you know, smiling and talking to the cashier. You know, rather than just checking out. I think those are, are all so ordinary, but what I'm proposing here is that they're they're important because what they're we're doing is we're practicing the presence of other people, the reality of the other person, their personhood. Yeah. So yeah, just to bring this all back to Jane Austen, <laughs> <laughs> um, I've I've often found the most edifying yeah. examples of manners mm. in um, Mr. Knightley mm. in Emma. Mm -hmm. And um, what's her name? Eleanor Dashwood mm. um, in Sense and Sensibility. Because yeah. um, I, I mean, I think when people think of the Regency era and Jane Austen, they think everything is about manners and manners, manners, manners. And everything manners. is about surface appearances. But, and, yeah. and she does a good job of getting yeah. into people's heads and showing, no, 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 that some people use these simply manipulatively. 
but but there's not supposed to be and and the good people in the story precisely go through these from a heart of appreciating mm -hmm. the person there. sorry keep going no i mean like i i don't think there are very many people in jane austen's novels that actually exemplify true manners mm. for for the actual purpose and and what i was saying is the only two people that i can really think of who do are mr knightley mm. and um eleanor dashwood mm. uh so I guess I, that's all I had. That's all I had. Well, that's what we'll have to do more episodes on that because that, that is part of the drama of her whole books is seeing because, because you're seeing inside another person. Elliot. You're seeing Sorry. the interplay between their external, their words and their actions, their man, their mores and manners and their internal life. And yeah, you're precisely seeing in lots and lots of characters a real conflict. Even you know, some of them aren't, you know, they're, they are, um, not well-bred as they would say in the novels and they don't exemplify the manners but many do but it's in conflict with their inner motivations and what they and how they really regard people and then there's a few characters that they're they really operate in concert that those things really are an expression precisely of virtue, uh, of virtue and how they yeah. regard other people so um you know in summary I, I, what i'm proposing is that all those are important for that purpose is that they're they're they can be a way if we if we acknowledge them if we grab onto them mm -hmm. the way that we take the innumerable little daily interactions with people and we use those to practice this uh, preeminent reality of, of personhood but there's also a connection between whether or not we practice that well and our ability then to go into the presence of of the divine person mm -hmm. of god in prayer whether it's in our home or whether when we go you know into the chapel um, our ability to acknowledge god there to pay attention to God there, to remain present to him, to not merely go through the pious motions of genuflection or folding our hands, but to do those as an expression of our recognition of God. There's a connection between all those. Again, that's one of the that's one of the the consequences of the doctrine of virtue is that there are just no insignificant actions. Mm -hmm. There are simply human actions. And if if the sum total of your human actions, if ninety eight or ninety nine percent of those, you're not acknowledging the personhood of the people around you then you're going to find yeah and that it's going to be more and more difficult in that to, to do that mm -hmm. whereas if we if we embrace more of those actions and say no every time i'm in the presence of another person there are the little acts of courtesy are ways i'm practicing the the reality of that mm -hmm. person's personhood um it contributes to our relationships our prayer it's just it's one of these ordinary things that we just miss and it's just so precious mm -hmm. it's so powerful you know the weight of our neighbor's glory. Okay, now I'm really done. <laughs> Thanks for joining us for this episode of Elevate Ordinary. Hopefully there was something thought-provoking in there. We'd love to know what you think. Uh, I think this is a good topic where I would love to for people to sound off. You know, how have you found uh, this true in your life? What are some maybe some unexpected ways in which you have found to practice the presence of other people, the presence of God? Um, this is, I think, a topic where we can can help each other to recognize maybe little opportunities that we're missing to practice this, uh, to enter into it. And again, there's no, there's no distinction between the practice and the performance. It's the same thing. When we practice it, we're also doing the one thing needful. Um, and when I'm practicing paying attention to my wife and looking in her eyes, I'm not just practicing it, I'm doing it. <laughs> I'm building the relationship there and now. So it's, so every action uh, is important. Um, 
Yeah. So again, this is Elevate Ordinary, uh, extraordinary conversations about the ordinary pursuit of truth, goodness, and beauty. Uh, we thank you for joining us for this episode, and we'll talk to you again soon. God bless.